Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Builders. Pastors Philip and Michelle Still are dedicated to building your faith and framing your world by the Word of God. There are many more resources available on our website, www.buildfaith.net, where you can find links to our audio and video archives. We also invite you to join us online for our live stream services. Remember to build your faith and frame your world by the Word of God. Today, Amos chapter 3, I'm on a specific assignment to... uh, bring to our attention the importance of being in agreement with God, to agree with God. And Amos chapter 3, verse 3 says, Can two walk together except they be agreed? Can they walk together except they be agreed? We want to walk with God. We want to walk the path that He chooses We want the plan that he has because it's the better plan. It's the safer path. And so to walk with him, there needs to be agreement. And God's not going to change his viewpoint or his understanding to match ours. Our viewpoint, our understanding, our perception is what will need to change so that we can walk the path that God has. And that is something that when we have that understanding, then we come to our time with God with a determination that I want to see what He sees. I want to hear what He's speaking to me. I want to see it from God's perception. I I want to understand the ways of God so that I can walk in them. And that's what Isaiah 48 is speaking of. Will you turn with me to Isaiah 48 and verse 17? The plan that God has will require that we uh, accept His instruction, His teaching to obtain it, to, to access it. And He says here in verse 17 of chapter 48, I am the Lord your God which teaches you. If God says I'm the one that teaches you, then that means there are things we need to learn. Even if you think that you can count up all the number of years you've been in church and you think, well, I already know about this subject and I know about this subject and I've heard about this subject. Just because you may have a wealth of knowledge already doesn't mean you are beyond being taught by the Lord. Amen. He says, I am the Lord which teaches you and specifically teaches you to profit. Everything God brings to us is going to be to our advantage. Every, every thing he teaches us and imparts to us is going to put us in a place of safety and put us in a place of overcoming. He says, I teach you to profit and I lead you. I am the Lord which leads you by the way that you should go. So there's a, there is a way that I should go. It's not just something that I can, I can sit back and choose. And this is, is, is a dangerous concept for us to impart into our children. To say to them, you can be anything you want to be is misleading. Yes, 
because they can't be anything they want to be because their creator has designed them with a specific plan and a specific purpose and to to go after something contrary to that plan and purpose yeah. will frustrate their lives. Amen? Amen? And put them in a dangerous position where the enemy will be able to attack in places he should not have been able to attack because if they're out of the will of God, they're out of a place where he can protect them in the full measure of protection that he desires. Yeah. And so we've got to identify for ourselves and for those people that we are responsible to help them walk with God. We've got to recognize that there is a way that I should go, that nothing about my life is random. There, there are no random choices. There are no unimportant choices that I will make. There are no uh, unimportant directions that I will take. But if I will begin to see that God has a perfect plan and the more I'm connected to hear from Him, His teaching and His leading, the greater accuracy I will have in that plan. I will walk in a, a greater accuracy uh, where He can protect me and provide for me in that plan. The way that I should go. Notice that... For me to find the way that I should go, I, it requires his leading. I can't find it with my mind. I can't find it with my emotions. My emotions are not going to lead me in the way I should go. My, my reasoning is not going to wind me up at the, the way that I should go that God has prepared. Only his leading will give me that accuracy for that path. Verse 18 is a sad verse, but you and I can learn from it and avoid the sadness in our life. Verse 18 says, Oh, that you would have hearkened. Oh, that you hadst hearkened to my commandments. If you would have listened to my commandments and acted on my commandments. The word hearken means to hear and do. It's not just the hearing part, but it's the hearing and the acting on it. He said, oh, if you would have, have acted on, heard my commandments and acted on them, then your peace would have been as a river and your righteousness would have been. Notice the, in the King James, it's not as clear. I'm adding the would have been, but it says, then had your peace been as a river, your righteousness as the ways of the sea. Their peace was not flowing in that measure. Their, their standing was not in that condition. He said, your seed also would have been as the sand and the offspring of the bowels like the gravel thereof. That's talking about the blessing. He's talking about the, the, the manifestation of the blessing, the plan of God for their life. It would have been that way. What, what was the determining factor that could have put them in that place? If they would have heard and acted if they would have been doers of the things they had heard from God, they would have had. That's how easy it is. We've got to bring this back to the simplicity that Jesus has provided for us. Serving God is not hard. Finding God's destiny for our life is not hard. It's not a mystery. It's not, uh, it's not failure after failure. It's not hitting brick walls and dead-end streets and having to back up and do it over again and do it over again. That's not necessary if we will become skilled 
in hearing and doing, skilled in receiving his teaching and his leading because the, the rest is just built in. If, if I make my part right, the hearing and the learning, if I do my part right, everything else is going to fall into place. The word is going to work for me and God's will is going to come into manifestation in my life. And so we come to this understanding that it's my responsibility to get in agreement with God, not his place to get in agreement with me. It's not God going to come down and let me convince him to see it my way. But I instead submit to his perceptions, his viewpoints, his mindset, and I receive them into my life. This is how we get in agreement with God. Isaiah 53 is just a couple of chapters over there. Let's look at verse 1 of this chapter. It asks two questions, but they are two questions that we need to know the answer to. Who has believed our report? That's question number one. Who has believed our report? And then we have question number two. And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? What an interesting way to start this chapter. You know, this is such a powerful chapter. It's talking about our redemption. This is where we have this scripture of surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. It talks about the fact that he, he bore our iniquities. He bare the sin of many. He bore our, our griefs and carried our sorrows. This is talking about our redemption, but it starts with these two questions. And these two questions are connected to each other. Who has believed the report and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Well, the arm of the Lord, the, it refers to the strength of God. And it's talking about the salvation of God. The arm of the Lord, remember, it says that he, he made bare his arm when he brought Jesus to be our salvation. He, he made bare his arm. So the arm of the Lord is talking about our salvation. And of course, salvation is not limited to a one-time occurrence. Salvation is a, is a, a power-packed word. The, the word salvation means rescue. It means restoration. It means wholeness. It's connected to the Hebrew word, nothing missing, nothing broken. It's the, the, in, in the New Testament, it's the word soteria. And it's, it's talking about the whole life being affected by the power of God to the point that it comes to fullness, that there are no more missing or broken places in our life. So to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Who gets this salvation? To the one who believes the report. The one who believes the report will see the manifestation of God in their life because the believing of the report is the way that we receive the power of God. He said in Romans chapter 10, he said, How can they believe except they hear? And how can they hear except a preacher proclaim it or preach it to them? The, the, the faith comes by hearing and hearing the report or hearing the word of God. Amen? So this believing the report then is the necessary element to receiving the manifestation, the power of God active in our situation. Not just so that 
one time we experience salvation and now we spend the rest of our lives saying, okay, I know I'm going to heaven. I know I'm saved. But then dealing with things from a position of limit, from a position of, well, I just got to make it through and it's a hard old way and I'm coming up the rough side of the mountain and, and gloom, despair, and agony on me and I'm a poor wayfaring stranger. No, no, wait a minute. I have salvation every day. I can with joy draw water out of the wells of my salvation. Salvation is an ongoing supply of God, but believing is the necessary element of receiving of that restoration, that rescue, that healing, that financial security. The believing is connected to our agreement with God. Do I believe God's report? The believing, faith, faith connects us to God's word. Doubt, the word doubt means to separate. So doubt separates me from the word. You know, when Peter stepped out of the water, he connected to the power of that word. That word began to operate in his life and he walked on the water. But when he began to look at the wind, how you don't even see wind. You can't see wind. It says he looked at the wind, boisterous. You can't see wind. You can just see the effects of the wind. You can see what the wind is doing. So he looked at how the waves were, were you know those waves? were doing that before he stepped out of the boat. They didn't start after he began walking on water. They were doing that before he got out and walked on the water. So they had nothing to do with his ability to walk on the water. His water walking capacity came from the Word. He believed the report and the salvation was manifest. The power of God was manifest and he was walking on the water. But when he looked at the wind, it says he began. I've never stepped out of the side of the swimming pool and began to sink and looked at my family sitting there on the side of the pool and said, I'm going down. A little bit at a time. Look, I'm at my knees right now. Do you see the water's at my knees? No. If I step off the side of the pool, I don't have time to say much before my head's under. I sink. I don't begin to sink. I sink. And Peter did not sink in a moment, in an instant, in, in, in a quickness. He began to sink, showing us that his faith left little by little. His faith began to wane. It began to to dissipate as he looked at the wrong thing. Why? Because with his eyes on the situation, the wind, what the wind was doing to his circumstances, he separated from the power that was giving him buoyancy. He separated from the miracle working power of God, the salvation power that was operated in him. So this is why we become skilled in agreeing with God and maintaining our our thoughts. To be in agreement with God, we have to change our mind. Let's look over at Ephesians chapter 4 because there is a, a... a completely different operation of the mind after we get saved. Before I was saved, I was limited. All that was available to govern my mind was my soul. 
All that was available to govern my mind was whatever teaching I had received from my parents, whatever rules, regulations were in place naturally in my life to govern my behavior and to govern my mind. But when I received Jesus Christ as Lord of my life, I became spiritually alive. And the born-again spirit, the, the alive unto God spirit of a man is designed to govern the thought life. Your thoughts must be spiritually governed. Your spirit is the only part of you qualified to govern your thoughts. Your, your flesh, your feelings are, are unqualified. They are incapable of governing the mind. Only the born-again spirit, alive unto God, is capable of bringing the mind in line with what God has said. And we use the word to make it happen. But let's look at Ephesians 4 and let's look at verse 22. And let's find out our responsibility. Say that out loud. This is my responsibility. Verse 22, that you put off. Put off. You put off. I wrote outside next to that, and you, this is just, just, just might help somebody. The throne. You put off the throne, or you could say out of the driver's seat. You put off concerning the former conversation. And underline, circle, mark that word conversation, because if you were to look that word up in the Strong's Concordance, it means behavior. It is not talking or limited to. It includes your verbal communication. But if that's all you see in that word conversation, you'll miss the emphasis of God because the word in the original language means behavior. You put off the former behavior. Jesus is not going to put off the former behavior for us. There are no angels who are going to step up and say, I'm not going to let you act like that anymore. Your, your temper tantrum is not going to take place today. No, the only person who is going to be able to put your flesh under and say, we are not going to get the last word in today. We are going to have a soft answer that turns away wrath. Only your spirit is going to do that. God's not going to do it for you. Jesus isn't going to do it for you. The angels aren't going to do it for you. We have to put off the former behavior of the old man because it is corrupt. It causes corruption. There was a king, I think his name was King Mazanius, and I could have definitely mispronounced it, but this was uh, uh, back in, in, in the medieval times. And this king, in, when he would want to punish someone, he would throw, put them in the prison, but he would attach a dead body to their, to their body, like face to face with this dead body. And they would sit in their cell and die a slow death as the decay from that corpse slowly killed them. That's what happens if we, if we carry the old man around and let it behave. It will slowly corrupt our lives. 
It will corrupt the good that God has designed for us, the plans that he has, because the old man needs to stay buried, Amen. right? We put, put under the old man. That's what the, the emphasis of our baptism in water is supposed to signify for us, that I am buried together with Christ. That if I've, if I've went into the baptismal waters, the old man stayed under those baptismal waters. And if he tries to show up in my life, I'm going to, uh-uh-uh, you're buried. You don't get to answer this question. You don't get to, to talk to the person who just pulled out in front of me. I, I'm, uh, come on, because those are the times the old man, the old man says, I know how to answer this. Let me deal with this, and you can be sanctified later, but let me just give this person a piece of my mind. No, you're buried, and I'm not going to carry you around and let your rotten flesh, that corruption, dirty up the plan of God for my life. Hallelujah. We put off the old man. We, we're qualified to do it. We're equipped to do it. We're equipped. We're born again. We don't have to, we, we owe our flesh nothing, Romans chapter 6 says, you are not a debtor to your flesh. Yeah. That means you don't owe it a bad hair day. Amen. You don't owe your flesh uh, a, a blue Monday, a hump Wednesday, a freaky Friday. You don't owe your flesh any moment of, of, of having the microphone of your life. Don't give it your mouth. Don't let it have your thought life. Why? Because everything the flesh would would desire to do or say is going to go in the wrong direction so we put it off that's how simple it is it's not a fight you're not fighting your flesh all your life you're just learning to walk in the spirit if you're walking in the spirit by default you're not walking in the flesh amen, amen. so if, if if we give our attention to the good if i give my attention to walking in the spirit you know, there, it, it, this is a danger for, for us to, to listen to, to teaching or preaching that's always like, you got to watch your flesh, your flesh, your flesh, your flesh. Yes, How about you got to walk in the Spirit? Yes, that's what you got to do. Yes, Give yes, your attention yes, to walking in the Spirit. Because if all of your attention is on the flesh, then you're going to fear the flesh. You're going to worry about, was I in the flesh today? You're gonna, it's going to be the constant thing on your mind. But if you say, today I'm going to walk in the Spirit. Amen. I'm equipped to walk in the Spirit. I love God. I have His Word on the inside of me. His Holy Spirit is leading me. I'm going to walk in the Spirit and I will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. But it says that we do have the responsibility to put off the, the behavior. Put off the behavior. And verse 23, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. The New Living Translation says, Let the spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Amen. Let the spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Hallelujah. So when, when I first read this in the King James, back when I first started walking with God, it, it threw me because I said, does my mind have a spirit? What does that mean, in the spirit of your mind? Your mind needs to be spiritual. Your mind needs to be governed with spiritual thoughts. 
It needs to be conducting spiritual thoughts. The way to make your mind spiritual is to renew it so that the only thing... You know, in my computer, I got my computer new. And the only thing in my computer is what I put in it. Other than the basic operating system, there are no things that were put in there by somebody with dirty motives. Because I'm responsible for what's gone in my computer. My computer is full of of, of faith-building material, amen, full of good things. Your mind is like, operates in that same manner, except when you first get saved, you've got to go through and delete the hard drive. Because all that you thought before Christ is not safe to be thought today. It needs to be overhauled. you got to hit the delete button, erase that hard drive. That's the renewing of the mind. And then replace it with all of God's thoughts, God's perceptions, God's way of viewing situations and circumstances. And this is what he says, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Be renewed in your mind until it is spiritual in its activity. The weast The Kenneth E. Weiss translation says, As children of light, be continually conducting yourself. Hallelujah. I'm sorry, that's from from the other part. Walk as children of light. So be renewed in the spirit of your mind. So for my mind to have a spiritual activity, I'm going to have to put spiritual thoughts into it. Thoughts are spiritual. Thoughts are spiritual. Jesus said this in John chapter 6 and verse 63. He said, my words are spirit and they are life. So he put spirit and life in his words. If we take his words and put in our way of thinking, then we are putting spiritual substance in our mind. That's the way God created us. God did not create us for doubt thoughts. God didn't create us for unpure, impure thoughts. He created us to think His thoughts so we could have relationship with Him, fellowship with Him, understand His plans, and work alongside of Him. God didn't create us as worms in the dust. He created us to be gods on the earth as He is God in the heaven. He created us to be children, His children who converse with him, who can work with him in his family business. So he says, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And verse 24, and that you put on the new man. So you put off the old, put off the the behavior of the old, and put on the new man. It's not automatic just because you got saved. There's a part you do in the putting off and the putting on. Hallelujah. It's not automatic just because we come to church or own a Bible. We have to make the choices in the midst of of the opportunity when a situation is calling for an answer and your flesh wants to have the microphone, you have to choose to let the Spirit of God lead you how to answer that. Amen. Amen? You put off the old and you put on the new. I put off the old and I put on the new. The new man is created in right standing with God. 
The new man is created in a position to talk to God, to converse with God, to receive from God. Righteousness is the ability to stand in the presence of God without any sense of inferiority, without sense of guilt or shame or unworthiness. Though we come to Him with a smile on our face and say, Good morning, Father. I'm coming to you in Jesus' name. And I'm so glad to be here in your presence. And I want to talk to you about this situation that we're taking the victory over. That right standing. Hallelujah. Right standing and true holiness. So the, the new you in Christ is... In right standing with God, holy before God, we've got to walk in that which He has created us to be and guard it by not putting on the, not allowing the old to have any activity. Amen. Let's look at Romans chapter 12 as we look a little bit more at the renewing aspect of agreeing with God. Romans 12:2. Romans 12:2 says, Be not conformed to this world. I'll tell you why it's in the Bible. Do you want to know why that's in the Bible? Do you want to know why that's in the Bible? Because this is what the world wants to do, conform you into its image. And if the, if the Scripture did not tell us not to be, the reason it tells us not to be is because the possibility of being conformed to the world is there. We've got light now not to do it. This verse gives us light to know, I don't think like that. I don't act like that. I don't, my perception is not that, I don't have that motive. I don't have to dress provocatively to get a promotion. I don't have to lie to be able to get that position. I don't see the whole, the, the, there's a, a, a mindset and a flow that the world is flowing in and it is, it is fleshly and it's deceitful and it is, it is selfish and the love of money is all, the, the, I, I didn't say money, I said the love of money is conducting decisions that people are making. We don't love money, we love God. Amen? We don't have the same ulterior motives. And that's why the flow of God in operation in our life can take us into situations because we're not conformed to the world. We're going to come in there conformed in the image of God. So the way it says to not be conformed to the world is by guarding and maintaining what's in your mind. It says, don't be conformed to the world. How did people get conformed to the world? One thought at a time. One wrong thought after another. It's the thinking that causes the behavior change. If they think wrong, they behave wrong. If we think right, we'll behave right. If we think light thoughts, we'll live out light lives. We are the children of light. We walk in the light. How do we walk in the light? By putting the light in our understanding so that when we walk into any situation, we're walking into it in the light. Yeah. 
We're not walking in confusion because we're walking in the light. We're not walking being driven by ulterior motives of greed or lust or, or desire for wrong things. Why? Because we're walking in the light. How do we do it? One thought at a time, renewing our mind. Yeah. He says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Some of you may know this, but if you don't, you need to, so I'm going to repeat it to you. The word transformed is the word metamorpho. It's the word we use to describe the change that takes place when a caterpillar crawls into the cocoon and comes out a butterfly. The caterpillar is unrecognizable when it comes out of the cocoon. If we didn't know what we know about science, we would not be able to, we would, we would argue and say, that is not a caterpillar. That is a butterfly. The transformation transformed that low-level living creature into a whole new lifestyle on a higher plane with a greater reach, with a whole different viewpoint of the world. The, the, the caterpillar is the butterfly, but it's not the butterfly. In, in essence, it was the butterfly, but there's been such a transformation. That, that caterpillar is, is no longer, it, it will never return to be a caterpillar again. There's no back, you see what I'm saying? That, that butterfly is never going to say, you know, I just want to go back to being a caterpillar. Just give me another cocoon. I can just crawl back in and just go backwards and become a caterpillar. No. That transformation is so complete. This is why God uses that word. Be metamorphosized. Be so transformed. I had the, the privilege of sharing personally with Pastor Stephen and Pastor Candy LaFlora my testimony. They had no idea about my testimony. And, you know, she administered on uh, the Friday night about how God can, can save a harlot. And uh, when I told her my testimony, she said, I had no idea. <laughs> but like many people, the first thing that people say is, by looking at you, I would never have known the life you came out of. I've been transformed. I've been transformed. I am not a caterpillar anymore. I am not what I was. I'm not what I did. I'm a new creature. Amen? I'm a new creature. There's such a tremendous change. I don't, I don't talk the way that I talked before. I don't act the way that I acted before. I don't... I don't think the way that I thought before. The transformation, I was immediately saved the day that I received Jesus as my Lord. He came in and made me new in my spirit. But there was a process of transformation that took place. As I fed on the Word and looked into the Word and changed my thinking and changed my behavior that caused 
this metamorphosis in my life. So when it says be transformed, we don't want to just see a little change. We're not talking about a, a makeover where they take a rundown house and just kind of fix it up and put a little bit of new paint on it and, you know, lay some new vinyl on the floor. No, we're talking about a complete whole life transformation. You can't even find what used to be there. Amen? And how does it take place? By the renewing of the mind. By the renewing of the mind. For us to walk with God, for us to enter into the fullness of what He has for our life, there must be a renewing of the mind. It says, so that you may prove, put to the test, walk out, recognize for you to recognize the will of God, there needs to be a renewing of the mind. Because the carnal mind does not see God's plan, does not see the will of God. The carnal mind, the reasoning of the carnal mind blinds it from being able to see that was God at work. That was God leading me. That was God directing my steps. God put me in that, in that path. God caused. I, God was leading me to hear that, that, that uh, specific thing on the radio that led me to go and, and, and attend that service. And it, see, when we began to renew the mind, we began to recognize the will of God. So the more, the more our mind is renewed, the quicker and easier it is to say, I know what God wants me to do. I know the plan He has for me. I know the direction I'm supposed to go. Because many times the things that God has are so against the carnal thinking. They're so against the carnal thinking because it's walking by faith. And I'm not talking about being weird and quitting the job and, and saying I'm going to live by faith. And, and if God tells you, but don't just say I'm going to live by faith. You know what I'm saying? Some people get weird with it. But, but when we are renewing the mind, we'll be accurate. We'll be accurate. So to prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God, there must be a renewing of the mind. The Bible in basic English says, Let not your behavior be like that of this world, but be changed and made new in the mind so that by experience you may have knowledge of the good and pleasing and complete purpose of God. So that by the experience of renewing the mind, we have the knowledge, the knowledge of the good and pleasing and complete purpose of God. The Amplified says, Don't be conformed to this world, this age, fashioned after and adapted to its external superficial customs, but be transformed, changed by the entire renewal of your mind, by its new ideals and its new attitude, so that you may, thank you dear, so that uh, you may prove for yourselves what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God, even the thing which is good and acceptable and perfect in His sight for you. So we see in this version, this translation, the Amplified of Romans 12 too, it says, by new ideals and new attitude. We're taking on God's perceptions, God's attitude about it. If God doesn't like it, I don't like it. People say, well, there's nothing wrong with it. God said, fear not. 
Now, that's what Pastor Stephen was talking about this morning. How, how so many people in the world say, well, you know, a little bit of fear is healthy. Not according to God. God said, fear not, because I'm with you. If God, if God is with us, there should be no reason. There's no reason. I don't think we will be able to stand before him and say, well, this is the reason I was scared. And God says, I understand, that's okay. According to the way the scripture reads... We are to be anxious for nothing. We are not to fear anything. It's toxic. It's contraband. Don't get caught with the contraband of fear. And so that's a mindset. Do you see that? That's a mindset. And the first time I heard that, I thought, is it possible not to? I was so used to fear. I was so acquainted with fear. I was so accustomed to fear that I thought the preacher was a little bit you know, drastic. Well, you know, that's drastic. Tell me I can't fear. How am I not going to fear? I've come a long way. Because I see it as something that if I catch myself fearing, I'm like, whoa, forgive me, Lord. I repent over it. I remember the first time I heard Brother Hagin say that worry was a sin. I'm like, Oh, he's that's 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 a high watermark, isn't it? Worry is a sin. But does the Bible say be anxious for nothing? That there's not anything we are we are uh, scripturally given permission to worry about. Does it say even if at my right side? 10,000 are falling at my right side. Am I going to do what? I'm going to, I might worry a little bit if there's 10,000 falling. No, is this that I will trust in him? That he's my refuge. I'm going to trust in him. Right? Why? Because when Jesus comes, will he find faith? That's the question. Will he find faith? says that in the last days many hearts men's, men's hearts will fear will fail them for fear fail them so do you see how that that scriptural mindset goes contrary to reasoning but i'm not going to bring god down to my level and make him agree with me about it i'm not going to say now listen god it, you just can't not worry Brother Hagen's heart would stop in his chest. It would stop beating. And he said, Lord, how can I not worry when my heart, three or four times a day, my heart stops. He had worn the varnish off the bedpost because he would reach back and grab the bedpost to try to hang on to his life. And he came to the chapter of Matthew chapter 6 where it says take no thought for your life and he slammed his Bible shut and he said God I can't do that he had made a commitment if I see it in your word I will do it and he got to Matthew 6 take no thought for your life and he said he did not open his Bible for another month and a half because he was at that point I can't not take thought for my life I can't not worry about whether I'm going to die or not when my heart is stopping in my chest. 
And so finally he opened his Bible back up to Matthew chapter 6 and he said to the Lord, Lord, I told you whatever I see in your word, I'm going to apply it to my life. So you tell me that I cannot worry about my life. So even if my heart stops, I will not worry about it. I know that I am saved. And if I do pass, I know where I'll go. So I'm not going to worry about it. And he said from that point on, his heart continued to stop. And he said by, by habit, he would reach back to grab the, pe- the bedposts again. And he would stop himself and say, no, no, I'm not going to worry about it. And he had to practice a new behavior. Put off the former behavior. Yeah. The former behavior of fear. Do you notice that before God could get him to Mark 11, he had to get him through Matthew 6. Before God could get him to the point of where his faith would work, he had to first help him defeat the fear that had such a hold on his his thought life and on his actions. And so he became so skilled in not fearing when he was first married and his children were young and, and he and his wife, you know, uh, she, she, she was upset about it one day. She said, if me and both of these children fell over dead, you, it wouldn't bother you. You wouldn't worry about it. And he said, well, honey, why would I worry then? <laughs> but she had to come over to that same thought pattern of I'm not going to worry about it. Do you see how this agreeing with God is is not just, I agree that I won't sin, I agree that I won't cuss, I agree that I'm not going to smoke, I agree that I'm not this, but it's, it's seeing His perception so that I can walk with Him and walk in His plan. Amen? We can't walk in the fullness of God allowing fear to have operation in our life. Praise God. That's an example. So be transformed with new ideals, the Amplified says. New ideals and a new attitude so that you can prove for yourself what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Hallelujah. Let's look at Romans chapter 8. And I want us to see the contrast that Romans chapter 8 brings to us. Romans chapter 8, and I'll start in verse 6. I want to uh, read the King James, and then I'm going to also share the Weiss translation. Romans 8, 6 says, To be carnally minded, to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Do we see two options here? We have the option of the carnal mind, and, and we don't want it. We want, to, we want to just remove that option off the, the, the multiple choice question. The carnal mind, to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. So again, we see from Ephesians 4 when it says, be renewed in the spirit of your mind, that he's talking about bringing your mind to a new condition so that it is spiritual in its thoughts spiritual in the thought patterns that are allowed to have its operation in your thought in your mind he says in verse 7 because 
The carnal mind is enmity, or you could say an enemy. Hostile, one translation says. The carnal mind is enmity, hostile, contrary to God. It is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh, notice those who are allowing the carnal mind are in verse 8 referred to as being in the flesh. If a person is allowing their mind to be carnal, they're walking in the flesh. But if I am spiritually minded, I'm not. So the way for me to walk in the Spirit, that's not some mysterious... Uh, 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 yeah, with, with uh, uh, some mysterious... Ooh, how do you walk in the Spirit? Be spiritually minded. That's how you start. This is, this is the, the... Lays the course for you. If I'm thinking right, I'm going to behave right. I'm going to believe right and speak right. What got Eve to where she was behaving wrong? She started thinking wrong. She took the enemy's thoughts. The enemy said, did God say? Oh, you shall not surely die. God just doesn't want you to eat the fruit of that because you'll become like him. And she accepted the wrong thoughts and the wrong thoughts created wrong behavior and wrong believing. She looked at the tree and decided something she'd never thought before. It was a brand new perception. She, when she saw the tree was good for food, she never looked at that tree as being good for food until she accepted the wrong thought. And the wrong thought produced wrong behavior, wrong believing, wrong words, wrong actions. They that are in the flesh, they're in there because of their thoughts. Carnal mind. The Kenneth E. Weiss translation says, verse 6, to have the mind dominated by the sinful, uh, 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 the, the sin is death. Uh, to have the mind dominated by the flesh is death, but to have the mind dominated by the spirit is life and peace. Now, if you just hear the Holy Spirit, you're not incorrect, but you're incomplete. Because the Holy Spirit's not going to do anything without the participation of your born-again spirit. He is a guest. He is a guest in you. And He is not going to overtake you and make you do spiritual things. He'll lead you to do them. He'll, he'll bring the witness of God so that you don't have to wait for a sign. You don't have to have an angelic visitation. You don't have to have a dream. Those are all great, but they should also have in the New Testament believer the inner witness because the enemy can duplicate an angelic vision, a dream. But if I don't have the witness in me, that uh, the peace of God to witness that that was of God, I shouldn't even accept those without checking my spirit. But if I have in my spirit a recognition that the Holy Spirit, He is a guest in me. He's here to help me. He's here to lead me. 
His ministry is to help me. That's his divine calling. He is the paraclete, the paracletos. He is called alongside. That call is a holy calling. It's as holy as any fivefold ministry calling. It's as holy as the pastor's calling. It's as holy as the evangelist's calling. He is called by God. And he takes his calling seriously. Called alongside to help. And the more we listen to him, the more he can help us. So when it says that those who are have their mind dominated by the Spirit, it's not just the Holy Spirit, but it's my born-again Spirit where he lives. So it's not incomplete. It's not incorrect, but it's incomplete if I just say my mind has to be dominated by the Holy Spirit. He's not dominating my mind without my spiritual participation. My spirit, led by the Holy Spirit, directed by the Holy Spirit, recognizes that thought is not my thought. That thought that just came into my mind, that was not me. That was not God. I refuse to accept it. I cast that thought down. Amen? And then I bring my mind into a place of it being dominated by what I know is correct from the Word of God. To have the mind dominated by the Spirit is life and peace because the mind dominated by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not marshal itself under the command of the law of God, neither is it able to. When the book of Hebrews talks about maturity and uh, says that they were not able... Is it, let me, I'm just looking to see if it's Hebrews I want or 1 Corinthians. Hebrews 5 says, Everyone that uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a baby. But strong meat belongs to them who are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Hebrews 5, 13 and 14. It's telling me that maturity takes place as I am renewing my mind so that my mind is dominated by the Word of God. It's a Word-ruled mind. Say that out loud. I want a Word-ruled mind. I want a Word-ruled mind. That's how I'm going to grow. The, the people who still need milk, they haven't gained any skill. They are unskillful in walking in the Word. They are, I'm just the basic right standing of the Word. They're unskillful in it. Why? We just found out that if, if I am carnal, if a person is carnally minded, they're walking in the flesh. So they're unskillful in the Word. They don't have their mind dominated by the Word. They haven't said to the Word, if I find it in the Word, it, it, it governs previous experience. It governs the way I acted before. It governs everything I've been taught before this time if I find it in the Word. I mean, people can complain all they want about the finances flowing in Kenneth Copeland's life, but he came to a place where he said, if I find it in the Word, I'm going to do it. Yeah. And they find a scripture in the Word that says, stay out of debt. 
And he said to his wife, they both, they both looked at each other and said, let's try the Amplified Bible. Maybe it'll be a little clearer. And the Amplified Bible said it, said it more emphatically. Stay out of debt. And they were like, stay out of debt? What? And they, they, he, said, he thought to myself, how am I ever going to have a car? She thought to herself, how am I ever going to have a house? But they determined it doesn't matter. If God's word says, and they applied their life to that word, that word governed their thinking. It became a higher law. The word they found became a higher law than all of the decisions they had been taught, the way of living they had been taught from, from the ages before. Do you see what I'm saying? Amen. The word governing the mind, this, this being skillful in acting in line with the word starts by thinking in line with the word. If we see somebody who's having a hard time walking with God, it's because they're thinking wrong. Amen. Somewhere along the way, they've got wrong thinking. And that can be true about any area. It can be true about our finances. It can be true about marriage. Somewhere along the way, they're not in agreement with the word because when I started, you know, I'll tell y'all what fixed my marriage is when I started, when we grew up. What the problem in our marriage was our flesh. But when both of us became submitted to the word, I could not follow my husband around the house and get the last word in anymore. The word prohibited that behavior in me. He could, not, he could not holler at me. If you've ever heard Pastor tell the testimony of how God dealt with him about his anger. And, and when we were first married, first married, we've been married, just celebrated 28 years. So when we were first married, we had an argument. Now, in my, in my, my, my late husband had beaten me. So I was, I was used to, if the voice goes up, the fists are about to fly. So, but pastor, when, when we first got married, he was, uh, he, he was raised, the louder you are, the more right you are. And so he believed in, in raising his voice to get his point across. So when he raised his voice, I would go lock myself in the bathroom. And he couldn't understand why is she locking herself in the bathroom. And so he got down on the floor and is hollering through the crack in the floor. Come out of here, I want to talk to you. I'm like, I'm not coming out there because, you know, raised voices means flying fists and so I'm not, I'm not, I'm not coming out. And then the Lord told him that a, a man who doesn't have control over his anger is like a city without walls. And the Lord, the, the Lord brought scripture to him and confronted him with that scripture. And my husband took the scripture and governed his mind and when he governed his thinking... He then had the ability to control and to diffuse the anger that had been a habit of his for years. He took the word and then I was the one who would, if, if we disagreed, uh, it, was, it was cold in the house for days. I wouldn't talk to him. I, I, I was just, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, you know, just this silent, you know, or, or, uh, or I would follow him through the house to get my last word. And so the Lord dealt with me about a soft answer that turns away wrath. He dealt with me about being a Proverbs 31 woman. It was the word. When I submitted to the word, my behavior changed. Yeah. 
But until the word came to me and, and I changed my thinking with that word, I had no control over my behavior as wrong as I was thinking wrong thoughts because those wrong thoughts were fueling, oh, no, he did not just say that to you. Are you going to let him get away with that? You better tell him, right? That's what was going through my mind. Stand up for yourself. Speak your mind. But when I put a new thought in there, a God thought, I started getting God results. I started getting peace in my marriage. I started getting love in my marriage. So do you see how this can, this can be applied to whatever area? Of, there are scriptures for every area of our life. God's word covers our life to bring us to a place of wholeness, but it's not going to happen without our participation in his word. Praise God. Praise God. So we need to have our mind dominated. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I want, to, I want to press pause here because I don't want to try to get into the next part. I don't uh, think I have enough time to get into it effectively. And we've had a long weekend, so I want to be respectful of you getting some rest. Amen. So let's, let's just find a place to pause here and we'll pick this up in part three. How to agree with God. Have you been helped tonight by the word? Father, we're so grateful for your word and we're grateful for the opportunity, Lord, to be in your house, to be in your presence, to be your house, Lord, and together, together as the family of God. Lord, as we prepare our hearts to minister to you with our giving, our tithing, our offering, Lord, we, we submit to your plan. Would you just say this with me? Father, I desire to renew my mind and experience the fullness of your plan for me. Your plan is the blessing plan. My walking in the light causes that plan to have its operation in me. Hallelujah. Just lift your hands and thank God for bringing the word to you, for helping you to see areas that you can be renewed, that you can be transformed, that we can come up in our, in our thinking to think the thoughts that God teaches, to walk in the way that God leads. We're so thankful, Lord.